Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. That's Luke chapter 17, starting to read at verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he rather not say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. Joe, thanks very much indeed. Well, we continue uh, looking through Luke chapter uh, 16, 15, 16, 17 and on uh, on these Sunday evenings and uh, do keep that Bible passage open in front of you and uh, with it open in front of us, let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, I do pray, please, that uh, you would help me to speak with clarity, help us all to be listening uh, carefully. May it be that you, by your Holy Spirit, work very powerfully in our hearts and lives, that we may not just hear words tonight, but may be ready to obey and indeed change the way we live. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was uh, many years ago now, but a friend of mine who was studying at King's College in London was discussing his faith in Jesus Christ with a professor on the faculty of King's College. The professor was uh, very uh, respectful towards my friend and um, as they talked about um, uh, his faith, that is my friend's faith, the professor said that he'd never met a Christian who really believed Jesus' teaching about hell. Now my friend was a bit surprised at him saying that because this professor had met many Christians and the professor explained more. He said he'd never met a Christian who said they believed in a real place of eternal punishment in that he'd heard people say that, but he didn't think they ever really believed it because he said anyone who really believed it would have to tell everybody they met about it. And he'd never met any Christian who'd done that. Uh, My friend was challenged as he told me the story. Then I was challenged too. Now last week at the end of chapter 16, we heard Jesus speak about that very great danger, the danger of spending all eternity in hell. This week, as we turn to the beginning of Luke chapter 17, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, if you really believe that, it will change the way you live. 
Jesus doesn't actually take the line that the um, lecturer at King's College took, which was, therefore, you should go and tell everybody. What he actually does is something different. The first thing he says is this. If you're taking notes, here's the first point. Never cause someone to sin. This is verses 1 and 2 of chapter 17. You see, if what Jesus taught in the parable at the end of Luke 16 is true, if there really is a place of eternal suffering, then we must do nothing that will ever cause anyone else to sin. And to sin here, in verses 1 and 2, means to break faith with God, that is to give up following Jesus. That, of course, is the ultimate sin, to reject the one true living God who made everything. If I really believe that the result of rejecting God is an eternity without him in a place of unimaginable suffering, then I must be sure that I do nothing to cause any others to turn away from Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Verse 1, Jesus says to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. See what Jesus is saying? There are going to be things that cause us to sin in this life. They are bound to be many things in this broken and fallen world that cause people to turn away from God. But Jesus says, woe betide you if you are the reason that anyone stops following Jesus. The word woe there in verse one is a a grieving word. It's the kind of word that describes the wailing of mourners at a funeral. Jesus says, To be someone who causes others to give up their faith and therefore cause eternal death. To that person, verse 2, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. Put a millstone, and we have walked in the Peak District and sure to have seen disused millstones. We know how big they are. Put a millstone round the neck of anyone who causes someone to stop following Jesus. Put a millstone round their neck and throw them into the sea so that they sink to the bottom of the sea, never to rise again. This is Jesus speaking. That's how serious this is. Jesus says those who cause others to walk away from the Lord should be put safely out of harm's way forever. That is how serious it is. This is a massive warning to us not to tell people that it is okay to do things that Jesus himself has prohibited. If I say it's okay to live in a way that is contrary to the things that Jesus has taught, I am leading you to sin I am leading you to reject Jesus' words and disobedience to Jesus in one area of life is the first step to rejecting him completely. As I prepared this this week, I was reminded of a Christian friend of mine from my days in London. My friend struggles, still struggles, with same-sex attraction. My friend believes that the Bible teaches that it is wrong for a man to have sex with another man. But as my friend is a man who is same-sex attracted, that causes him pain every day. He would love to find a partner and fall in love and live with them for the rest of, their life, for the rest of his life. And so every day he struggles with the thought that he will never enjoy that kind of relationship as a Christian man who is being faithful. 
When I was in London, I spent many, many hours with my friend, talking with him, praying with him, encouraging him. He was a great encouragement to me as I saw him struggle with something that was very deep and personal and put Jesus first. At one stage, he was suffering depression and someone suggested he go and see a counsellor, a Christian counsellor. He went and met with a counsellor. I knew he was going to meet with this person and he came round to see me immediately afterwards. I didn't know he was going to do that. And as he came uh, and uh, came to my study, he was shaking with anger and close to tears. He said to me, you told me that it's wrong to have sex with another man. He said, the counsellor I've just seen said it's okay. He said, I have to struggle with this every day, every day. How could the counsellor tell me that it's okay, he said. Telling me that doesn't help me, it just tempts me to sin. He said, I need people to keep supporting me and encouraging me and helping me to stand up for what is right. It is a daily temptation for me. And he said to me, please keep supporting me. And then he sat down and he asked me to go through all the Bible passages that we'd been through many times before that teach on that issue. Temptation to sin is bound to come in this world because we live in a broken and sinful world. That's what Jesus says in verse one, but woe to the person through whom that temptation comes. Yeah, this is a warning to anyone in formal counselling situations. Do not teach people something that the Bible does not allow. This is a warning to pastors. I find this very sobering. People walk into my study with all manner of pastoral issues. It is my job not to tell them what I think or what I believe, but to teach them what Jesus teaches. But much of what Jesus teaches, especially when it comes to personal relationships, is contrary to the culture we live in. So when I teach what Jesus teaches, it makes me very unpopular. I'm surprised that I've never been punched on the nose, but I know there was one man who came very, very close to it when I told him something that he should not do. And I don't like being unpopular because I like to be liked. It's hard to teach what Jesus taught. But Jesus is very clear here. It's very dangerous to lead people astray. Jesus' own brother got it. James wrote this, James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers because you who teach will be judged more severely. Of course we will. If I take on the role as a pastor and teacher, then if things that I teach are not in line with what Jesus teaches, then I should be judged severely because I will be leading people away from Jesus and potentially leading them to a lost eternity. As I read these verses... I fear for many senior clerics in the Church of England who disregard Jesus' teaching and who teach things that are so contrary to God's word, they will be judged severely. On judgment day, it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck, says Jesus. But be sure, these words of Jesus are not just for those informal teaching situations. This is not just spoken to pastors or counsellors, or even just those in, in small group leadership in this church. This is about how we all speak to our Christian friends. Let me turn to students here for a moment. Allow me to apply this when it comes to how you speak to your friends about sex. You must not say to your Christian friends that it is okay to act in ways sexually that Jesus has said are not right even though it goes against the culture. 
And the reason I speak to students on this issue is because I know it is a particular problem. Sexual immorality among Christian students is a very significant problem at the moment. You must not support your friends when they are doing something that is wrong sexually. Let me say to the rest of the church family, when you give your Christian friends advice, can I ask you, are you sure you appoint them to God's word? It is very easy to say to them things that they want to hear. If we really believe Jesus' teaching at the end of chapter 16, that there is a place of eternal punishment, then we must not do or say anything that will lead someone to sin and potentially for them to give up the Christian life. First, Jesus says, never cause someone to sin. But that's just the beginning of Jesus' teaching here because that's quite passive, really. We have to go further. If we really believe there is a place of unimaginable suffering beyond the grave, we must go out of our way to stop people who go on that path. So from never cause someone to sin to secondly, always rebuke someone who does sin. Verse three, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Do you see, we see where we've moved from. We, 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 on the one hand, the, the first two verses are don't teach somebody to do the wrong thing. Now it's saying, if you see someone doing the wrong thing, rebuke them. See, it's one thing ensuring that I don't lead someone to sin. It's quite another rebuking those who are sinning. Now look, some people enjoy rebuking and challenging others. They are bullies. If that's you, please don't read this as an excuse to continue being a bully. But the majority of us find it very difficult to rebuke and challenge people. Sometimes because we like to be liked and fear losing a friendship. Sometimes because we're cowards and not brave enough to challenge someone. Sometimes it is just selfishness that stops us challenging someone. We want a quiet life and want to avoid any confrontation because we want our lives to be easy. But that is an extremely selfish way to live. I was in a local park last year and I saw a dad running after his little boy. He threw himself on this little lad and landing on top of the poor little lad and the little boy was shocked and winded. You could see him gasping for breath in floods of tears for a long time afterwards as the, as the dad tried to console him. Now, as I tell you that story, you might think to yourself, what did that dad think he was doing? Big lad, big dad landing on this little lad. But if I tell you that the little lad was running after a football that had rolled into a busy road and that the dad potentially saved his lad's life by stopping him from running in front of the car and he did everything he could to stop him, then you'll understand that that dad's actions were very loving. Even though the little lad didn't understand it at the time and thought his dad had just been really rough with him. Having just read Luke chapter 16 last week and the stark reality of eternal judgment, if we see someone doing something that could lead them away from following Jesus and therefore to an eternal destiny of terrible, unimaginable suffering, out of love for them, we must spiritually rugby tackle them. It's hard to rebuke people. But it is by far the most loving thing we can do if someone is walking into a situation so dangerous that it could affect eternity. As a pastor, I've often been in situations where I have to tell Christians that what they're doing is wrong. 
And when I do that, I know it won't make me popular. And I like to be liked. And I'm a coward. And I like a peaceful life, free from hassle. Free from emails that have a go at me. Free from letters that are put through the door, unsigned, having a go at me. I don't like that. I'll avoid it at all costs. But I must not. And so as I'm face to face with someone in my study, the only way I can carry through and say the truthful thing and the right thing is to remind myself that Jesus knows what is best and Jesus wants what is best for people. And so if I really love people and I know he really loves people, then I will tell them what Jesus says. And so verse three, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Now let me stop here for a moment. As I'm speaking, some of you are thinking of a Christian friend who is living a seriously disobedient Christian life. Some of you have in your mind a Christian friend who's taken a course of action that could, if they continue, result in them drifting away further and further from Jesus and in time could see them giving up the Christian life altogether. Verse 3 says to you, you must rebuke them. You need to see them in your mind's eye walking towards a spiritual cliff. And so I want to stop here right now just for a moment to give you a moment to be resolved to speak to that Christian brother or sister out of love for them. Because tomorrow morning in the cold light of day, you won't want to do it. Because it's hard. But I want to stop here and say, will you be determined? Will you make a decision between you and the Lord now? Be determined to be in touch with them in the next few days. Out of love for them, tell them where they're going wrong and the danger they are in. If we really believe what Jesus taught about eternity at the end of Luke chapter 16, then never cause someone to sin. Secondly, always rebuke someone who sins. But we have to go further than that even. Thirdly, keep forgiving those who repent. Verse 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. This really ramps up the personal cost of putting people first and putting people right. Already it's been tough, hasn't it? Here Jesus asks us to imagine that the people we are rebuking have been sinning against us. We are wronged by and hurt by another Christian. And not just hurt, but repeatedly sinned against, repeatedly wronged by them. Verse 4, do you see it? Seven times in one day. Imagine the scenario, somebody does something against you again and again and again and again and again and again and again. In one day, they keep sinning against you and each time you tell them their error and each time they admit that they shouldn't have done it and each time they say, I repent, I'm sorry, I won't do it again and then in no time at all, they jolly well go and do it or something like it again to hurt you. Seven times in one day. How do you respond? I'll tell you how I respond. I say, you're not really sorry. You haven't really repented. But here, Jesus says that to respond like that is entirely unreasonable and very unhelpful. It is unreasonable because I repeatedly sin against my Father in heaven. 
I sin against him more than seven times in a day and he is always ready to forgive me when I truly repent. And if he forgives me like that, then I should forgive others when they come to me, no matter how many times they have sinned against me. So to be unwilling to forgive someone is unreasonable and it is very unhelpful. And this is the real point here. It is unhelpful because if someone repents and I will not forgive them, then that Christian brother or sister will think that repentance is pointless and useless. What's the point of repenting? Because it didn't restore our relationship anyway, they will think. And as soon as people begin to think like that, they are in great danger. Because then when they have ruined their relationship with God, they will think, what's the point of repenting? Because it doesn't restore relationships anyway. And so if I will not forgive people when they come to me, if I will not allow our relationship to be restored and begin again, I am actually being unhelpful to that person because they might not ever repent before God because they might not think it's worth it. And that might lead them to a lost eternity. Do you see the big point right through these verses is that I must do everything I can in my power to stop other Christians from turning from the Lord because the eternal stakes are so high. I must not do anything to lead anyone to sin. More than that, I must rebuke those who are sinning. More than that, I must even be, when I'm the one sinned against, I must be ready to forgive. And so with that kind of teaching from Jesus before the apostles, they responded, verse 5, increase our faith. Do you see what they're saying? How can we live like that? Lord, make us more full of faith to enable us to live that kind of Christian living. And Jesus replied, verse 6, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Here's the fourth point. Even small faith will enable you to do great things, verse 6. You see, the point in the, in the context of all this is, is nothing about moving trees, nothing about uprooting trees and dumping them in the sea. What's the point of doing that? The point here is that even if you only have very small faith, you can do amazing things, things that seem impossible. Small faith in Jesus Christ will enable you to live in a way that helps people who are deeply rooted in sin and seemingly immovable like a tree and will help them to turn back to the Lord. Small faith in Jesus Christ will enable you and I to live and act in ways that rescue people from a lost eternity. That is a huge thing. That's like moving a tree and putting it in the sea. Just imagine yourself in eternity for a moment, in the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation. I don't know how long you've been there. It might have been 100 years, might have been 10,000 years. It doesn't matter how long you've been there, but someone comes up to you and says to you, you rebuked me over my lifestyle while before Jesus returned. I didn't thank you at the time. In fact, I was really annoyed with you and I responded in an angry and unreasonable way towards you. But your courageous words and loving kindness had a profound impact on me. Your words pulled me up short and stopped me from continuing to go the wrong way. I was living in a way that might well have led me to give up following Jesus and and then I wouldn't have been here with Jesus in eternity. Thank you for rebuking me. That is a huge thing. 
Imagine someone else coming up to you and saying, I treated you really badly, but you kept forgiving me. It was amazing. You kept accepting my apology. And because you did, you taught me that real repentance does bring about forgiveness and a restored and renewed relationship. You modelled that to me. And it was so important that when I then turned away from the Lord, I knew that if I truly repented, he would forgive me. And when I committed a terrible thing in my life, I I did wonder whether God would forgive me such a dreadful thing. But your example to me showed me that it was worth repenting and returning to the Lord. And that's why I'm here now with Jesus and enjoying him forever. That's a huge thing. See what he's saying? Small faith can enable us to live a godly life and can lead to huge things, really significant things. Our small faith can move people who are deeply rooted in sin to return to the Lord. That changes eternity. But if small faith can have such a huge impact on others for eternity, it could easily make me very proud. And so Jesus quickly tells the parable that he tells in verses seven to 10. And this is the fifth and final point very briefly. Living this life of faith is simply what is expected of a servant of God. Verse seven. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait for me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. What is the point of this parable? It's very straightforward, really. When a servant has worked hard and comes in after a long day on the farm, his master doesn't say, oh, you've been working so hard. Come and sit down. I'll make your tea. And then afterwards, I'll massage your feet for you. And the master says, you've done your duty. That's what you're there for. You're a servant. And so Jesus says, if you live this way that he's been speaking about, trying to turn other people from their sin, If you live this way and work hard to be sure that you don't lead other Christians to sin, and if you rebuke Christians who do sin, and if you are ready to forgive people even when they keep sinning against you, while all that is hard work, it's just what the Christian should be doing. It's the way of any servant of God. And when I've got that attitude, it will stop me from becoming proud and conceited when great things do happen. And it's crucial that I don't become proud and conceited because the moment I'm proud, I'll be, tri- I'll be tempted to treat others badly and lead them to sin and to turn away from Jesus, which brings us full circle back to where we started. So in the light of the reality of eternal punishment that we saw in chapter 16, Jesus says, do everything you can to ensure that no one goes there. And he is not primarily thinking evangelistically here, although, of course, there are other parts of the Bible that tell us to go and tell other people. He is primarily here talking about how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, of course, Jesus is our supreme example in this. And as we turn to communion in just a moment, we remember Jesus who died taking God's punishment for us so that we don't have to ever have the punishment of God upon us. We remember Jesus who went to the cross 
who went so far to ensure that we need never suffer eternally. And of course in Jesus we have one who never led anyone to sin. And in Jesus we have one who loves us enough to rebuke us when we do sin. And because of Jesus, God the Father will forgive us even when we sin, not just seven times, but 77 times in a day. When we truly repent, he is ready to forgive us and restore our relationship with him forever. And be sure that we are free from any fear of eternity and unimaginable suffering. Let's pray together. Our Father, this is a challenging teaching from the Lord Jesus. But we do thank you that we know that when he speaks like this, he speaks because it's important and because he loves us. Because he, in dying on the cross, did everything necessary to ensure that no one should ever have to suffer eternity without you. And so we pray that as we look at the cross tonight and see that kind of suffering and willingness to give of himself, that we would be ready to do the same for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Doing everything we can to ensure that we in no way cause them to stumble. And more than that, go out of our way to bring people back. Please touch our hearts tonight and show us where we need to respond positively. And we pray as we do, great and mighty things would happen as people who are rooted in sin would be turned back to you and may it all be to your praise and glory. Amen.